the Spirit of Jazz podcast, where music dances with mystery, with your hosts, Bill Carter and Jeff Kellum. Welcome to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is Bill Carter. And I'm still Jeff Kellum. And this is episode five. We're calling this Crossing the Dotted Line. And to introduce today's topic, we're going to tell you two quick stories. The first time I ever played jazz piano in a church was a Sunday event when our teen youth group presented a skit. It was a skit on the famous parable of the prodigal son. A young youth demands his inheritance up front from his father, and receiving it without so much as a reprimand or whimper, he heads into the city and squanders it on what the writer calls loose living. Well, that was my moment in this performance. It was a party scene in which I was sitting at an upright piano, a bowler hat on my head, and a few caricatures of loose women hanging on my shoulders. And I banged out some New Orleans stride piano in the style of Jelly Roll Morton. The inference was clear. Jazz music, particularly of a Crescent City bent, was the soundtrack for dissolute living. And on the way out the door, one man joked, I've never heard that music before in a church. He implied that he never wanted to hear it ever again. For him, there was a clear line dividing sacred and secular, and I had crossed it. Uh, Music that had been once performed in the waiting rooms of bordellos did not belong in a Protestant sanctuary, and the youth group's skit had reminded him of this. And this, Bill, is a deep tradition with church folk. There's a a Ladies' Home Journal article from 1921. Anne Shaw Faulkner published an article asking the question, does jazz put the sin in syncopation? So here we are, the Roaring Twenties are beginning, and she sounds the alarm on this new popular music, and she quotes a letter from Henry Van Dyke, and his verdict is this, as I understand it, Van Dyke writes, it is not music at all. It's merely an irritation of the nerves of hearing, a sensual teasing of the strings of physical passion. Its fault lies not in syncopation, for he admits that's a legitimate device when sparingly used. But jazz, he says, is an unmitigated cacophony, a combination of disagreeable sounds and complicated discords, a willful ugliness, and it goes on, a deliberate vulgarity. There's this other line, jazz music was invented by demons for the torture of imbeciles. So take that, Reverend Carter. Well, yeah, and and this is the same clergy person, Princeton faculty member. And he composed the lyrics to the hymn, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. (laughs) For a lot of people, there's this double line between sacred and secular, and it shall not be crossed. And some of that may be a recollection of old racist thoughts. You know, some folk not wanting those people's music in my sacred place. But some of it has to do with maybe uh, what is clean and what is dirty and what is foul and what is proper. You know, I really wonder, Jeff, is life that tidy? This makes me think of a story from my seminary days when we were encouraged to go worship in various churches and, and a synagogue. And we went to a Pentecostal church and a teenage girl was there visiting with her electric guitar. 
And I had never heard an electric guitar in worship. It was wonderful. I was not particularly into rock, but man, the way she played that guitar and the way the people in that in that Pentecostal church responded, that was a new kind of worship for me. Hmm. I don't know when it was I first heard a saxophone in a worship service. It was probably when I hired a saxophonist myself. Well, you know, in that first episode, when we began this conversation, we talked about the wow moment, the moment when music is happening and we sense something extraordinary going on. There's great musical skill and positive energy and deep humanity and imaginative interaction and yet something else something big, something mysterious, dare we say, something spiritual. Well, isn't that why we call these wonderful songs of the heart spirituals that come out of the African-American community? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They are deep, deep in the heart. This is not purely intellectual music. It touches something that is touched in, in sacred places. Many of us have discovered those sacred places may be, well, on a mountaintop or in the woods or along the path, not just in the big halls of a church with its stained glass windows. Well, and I do recall, it's a painful memory from 25 years ago, I was uh, playing the piano as a guest alongside a professional chorale, and we got to a couple of tunes in the program that were African-American spirituals. One of the altos got off the risers and departed the stage. We sang, and then she came back on and sang the next couple of pieces. And I asked a, a friend in the choir, what, what's that about? And she says, well, she just doesn't want to sing that kind of music. Oh, my. oh yeah, yeah. You know, so to think about, you know, what is sacred about music? You know, what does that mean? Bach had his dedication on all his handwritten manuscripts. He would offer his musical notes to God. A lot of this was just music, instrumental music. There was nothing specifically spiritual about it, except for his dedication at the top of the page. When I was growing up in church, the church bulletin would often have postlude or the prelude, and the, instead of the name of the piece, which was something, quote, secular, it would say voluntary. And so here was secular music being used for spiritual purposes, and and the congregation wasn't making a distinction at all. <laughs> you said once, a fugue is a fugue. A fugue is a fugue. And I also remember a playful organist, not particularly deeply spiritual person, who for a postlude for a worship service played variations on the tune, How Much Is That Doggy in the Window? <laughs> and nobody in the congregation caught it, which I, I thought was just beautiful. You're just messing with them. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, out in San Francisco, there has been a church since the 1960s that has been focused around the jazz of John Coltrane. Uh, they call it St. John's African Orthodox Church, and St. John is Coltrane. Yeah, They believe that music is a holy moment, and that they access God or holiness by listening or dancing or praising and lamenting, but they also do something about it. They feed the hungry, and they collect clothing to distribute, and they work for fair housing in the city, and they try what they can through the music and their gathering to give dignity back to the people who are there. 
And this means that the music isn't used purely for entertainment purposes, which is what we think of secular music as doing, making us feel good, um, calming us or uh, tapping our feet or something. But it is music which draws us in, sends us out, mm -hmm. inspires, empowers. Yes. Uh, it creates within us that sense of awe uh, and wonder. Um, these are all deeply spiritual and heartfelt things. Well, and it builds community. Yeah. Uh, particularly if you're in a situation in your life where you're feeling downtrodden, uh, you are lifted up and lifted up together. And there's something very powerful about that. You know, musicians of faith have crossed this uh, supposed line many, many times, making me think it's not a double line, it's a dotted line. You remember that time, uh, some years ago, we invited Dave Brubeck to speak to a group of our friends? Yes, indeed, I do remember that. How can you forget that? It was a hoot. Let's play that clip. And then an organist played for me, Oh Sacred Head, Now Wounded, and she knew the original words. I cry into my beard stein, my love has gone away. She said it was one of the most bawdy tunes that she ever heard, but Bach chose it because the congregation all knew it. So when I think of the respect we have for oh sacred head now wounded probably the most religious theme that bach ever used i think he used it nine times in the uh, minor mass one of those and to think that it came from the people in a drinking song <laughs> how can people ever put down jazz or any music that comes into the church through the people so uh, Brubeck talks about Bach using a body tune because the whole congregation knew it. When we look at the Psalm book, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So uh, you, you can't outrun or escape from or dive into a cave to get away from the holy, where, where the holy can find us wherever we go, whether we're listening to jazz in a club or a concert. This reminds me of The Hungry Eye, where Father Malcolm Boyd, an Episcopal priest who had written a book called Are You Running With Me, Jesus, read prayers from that book sitting on a stool in this, in this club. And uh, in the background, Charlie Bird, the guitarist, is sitting on a stool behind him, praying with his guitar as a musical bed for these prayers. So here are these people who come into this secular place. They're hearing jazz accompanying prayers, man, I'll tell you, if the barriers don't fall, these people came to hear, you know, who knows what, they wind up being in worship. That's right. And this has been the uh, experience of musicians as well. I think of two right off the bat, John Coltrane and Bobby McFerrin. Coltrane, that great saxophonist who has a church named after him now in San Francisco, he had a spiritual awakening in 1957. Apparently, the holy caught up with him at a time of personal crisis. There are a lot of different accounts of what actually happened or didn't happen during that time, but it set him on a path toward light, and he kept accelerating his music, uh, accelerating 
his passion from that point on. Um, and he writes about this in the liner notes of his famous album, A Love Supreme. And then there's Bobby McFerrin, whose father was an opera singer. He grew up with music and he had been scuttling around. He was playing rehearsal piano in uh, Las Vegas at a university for, a, I guess, a dance group or some singers at the, at the school. And when he walked home for lunch one day, he said a voice said to him, you're a singer now. And he said it was the voice. And who am I to contest with that? And he began to follow that. And his music is now about empowerment and joy and release. You know, when I think about all of this too, uh, let's let's move toward toward Christmas, uh, where sacred and secular are married at Christmas. I mean, we've got the incarnation, which is the the basis of the story, but um, uh, this is a time when when the sentimental, the emotional. Uh, meet sometimes the very prof well, always the very profound message of mm -hmm. the incarnation, where where God breaks through into the life of this very human baby. It's beyond speech. There's this marriage of heaven and earth, this coming together of sacred and secular. I mean, it's it's extraordinary, and it's at the the heart of my faith and, and yours. Um, in fact, I wish sometime uh, you could be down in the mountains of Pennsylvania where I live on Christmas Eve because at 11 o'clock every year we bring in jazz musicians. We ignite some Christmas carols. Uh, let's listen to one now.
Sacred? Secular? There's no double line between them. It's a dotted line. One touches the other, the other touches the one. It's back and forth all the time, and you hear this repeatedly in the spirit of jazz. Thanks for listening to the Spirit of Jazz podcast. This is a production of Presby Bop Music. To find out more about Presby Bop, our music, concerts, and recordings, please explore our website at www.presbybop.com. And send us a note telling us what you think about the Spirit of Jazz. We'd love to hear from you. Check in with us again next time. I'm Jeff Kellum. And I'm Bill Carter. Thanks for tuning in.